You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. Today is December 3rd, 2023, and this is episode 254 of Lighthearted. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, teacher, photographer, and chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there. We will be listening to two interviews today. One will be with Laurie Perkins about the exciting things that have been happening at Tawas Point Lighthouse in Michigan, and the other will be with retired Coast Guard Rear Admiral Dan May about his new book. How's your holiday season going so far, Michelle? So far, so good. Um, just had a really great Thanksgiving with family and got the Christmas tree up. This is my first year doing a fake Christmas tree. So we'll see how that goes with the animals and everything. Yeah. That was why I did it. So I'm looking forward to this holiday season. So yeah, good. Yeah, we uh, we were, for years we were doing just a really small like tabletop, you know, fake tree with ornaments and stuff, but our crazy cat, Eddie, uh, you know, was kept trying to knock the ornaments off and stuff. Yeah. So we don't do that anymore. We just have garlands up high up where he can't get them. Yeah. I want to remind our listeners about something related to lighthouses that happens at this time every year. An organization called Friends of Flying Santa visits Coast Guard stations throughout the Northeast and brings special gifts to the children of Coast Guard families. It's a really nice way of showing gratitude and appreciation for all the hard work and sacrifices of Coast Guard personnel and their families who do so much for us. Michelle, uh, I think you've been at Coast Guard Station Portsmouth Harbor in the past for the arrival of Flying Santa by helicopter. It's pretty exciting. What do you think? Jeremy, I actually have never been there when no? the helicopter has come. No. Oh. Um, I've been there for the event that we typically do on Columbus Day mm -hmm. with Friends of Flying Santa, but I've never been at the station when the helicopter actually arrives. Oh, geez, I must have dreamed it. <laughs> yeah, that's too bad. You'll have to have to get there. It's already they've already come and gone to Station Portsmouth Harbor this year, but next yep. year we'll have to make sure you get there. Definitely. Of course, it's been an odd year for us. We haven't been at the lighthouse much for reasons we've talked about right, many exactly. times on the podcast. The missing missing uh, footbridge out to the lighthouse. Yes. But hopefully next year things will be back to normal. But you get it's so exciting when Santa lands by helicopter and Santa gets out with presents for the kids. I've been at a number of places when they arrive by helicopter and Santa, when Santa gets out, invariably there's one little kid, usually a little girl who has to run up ahead of everybody else and hug Santa. Oh, that's almost, so cute. Uh, yeah. The flying Santa is a great tradition. It dates back to 1929. Originally presents were dropped out of a plane for lighthouse keepers and their families. That's kind of uh, changed in recent years to uh, kind of thank the Coast Guard, to show gratitude to the Coast Guard. You can read all about it at flyingsanta.org. You can also donate through the website and donations help to keep the tradition going. So uh, let's get to our first interview for today. Please help me out, Michelle. Sure, Jeremy. Daniel R. May graduated with a degree in ocean engineering from the U.S. Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut in the class of 1979. During his time as the ocean engineer for the 5th Coast Guard District, Dan worked on lighthouse projects from Delaware Bay to the Carolinas, along with other engineering projects involving buoys and other structures on the water. Dan eventually moved to Civil Engineering Unit Providence, Rhode Island, 
where he served as the project engineer for several major lighthouse projects, including the relocation of Block Island Southeast Light, the first move of a major lighthouse structure in the United States. Dan served as the commander of Coast Guard Group Boston from 2001 to 2004, and he retired as a rear admiral in 2013. Dan is the author of a new book published by the U.S. Lighthouse Society called Preserving America's Lighthouses, Memoirs of a Coast Guard Ocean Engineer. The book details his experience with several major lighthouse projects through his decades with the Coast Guard. It was my honor and pleasure to help with the publication of the book, along with our friend Cindy Johnson, who is the copy editor. I recently had a chance to chat with Dan May about the new book, so let's listen to that conversation now. I am speaking this afternoon with my good friend, Dan May. And first of all, Dan, we're speaking a couple of days before Thanksgiving, so I want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Jeremy. Same to you. Thank you. The U.S. Lighthouse Society has just published a new book about your career as an ocean engineer for the Coast Guard. Uh, the book is called Preserving America's Lighthouses, Memoirs of a Coast Guard Ocean Engineer. Uh, congratulations on the book. Uh, being Thank published. you. Thank you. You're, you're very welcome. And uh, I uh, was very honored to kind of play a, a part in kind of shepherding the book along. And, and uh, you did I'm a fantastic so job, Jeremy. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Well, the material is just fantastic. So very, very pleased to, to be a small part of that. So let's talk a bit today about the subject matter covered in the book. Of course, we can't talk about everything. First of all, we don't have time. And second of all, people need to, to get the book uh, to read more detail. And I'll also mention that we just did a Zoom event uh, the other day uh, for the Society. Uh, we did a live Zoom event. That, was, that is now available on YouTube. If people go to the U.S. Lighthouse Society or U.S. LHS YouTube channel, they can find that very easily. And we've also done a po podcast interview in the past. It was actually divided into two episodes. That's another way people can get more detail about your career. But the book, they need to get the book if they're interested <laughs> in any of this. First of all, uh, to make it clear, you are now retired from the Coast Guard, right? I am, correct, yep. Yeah, and what was your rank when you retired? I retired as a rear admiral, um, which means I, I hung around a long time, like 33 and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> that was my next question. So 33 and a half years, that's your total time in the Coast Guard. Total, total active duty time, four years at the illustrious U.S. Coast Guard Academy, so... About 37 and a half years, uh, I didn't have to worry about a wardrobe every morning. You, you got up, you put on the uh, uh, originally blacks and khakis, now uh, called Bender Blue, named after uh, Admiral Bender. Well, my uniform I get into every day is jeans and a, and a hoodie. It's <laughs> my official uniform, so I don't, I don't have to With a lighthouse hat. Yeah, and always a lighthouse hat as well. That's in there, so <laughs> I love I it. Get that, yeah. What were some of the most interesting or memorable lighthouse projects you worked on as an engineer over the years? Yeah, I, I think, uh, and I hit, uh, I spend a chapter on each of, there's three three real biggies that I would say national level, groundbreaking, innovative, not, uh, not your run of the mill, had some of them had never been done before. So literally groundbreaking, but Montauk uh, Light, the revetment, I start with uh, a chapter on that. And uh, it was, um, my project was designing a uh, 5,000 ton, that's 10 million pounds of rock. Uh, but it was the creativeness of the design, I think. And it, uh, uh, true to uh, its, uh, its ability to withstand uh, the forces of mother nature, it's still standing today. And it uh, served as a 
jumping off point for the last few years of the work that's been done there. So just uh, so proud of that. Uh, and it's worked out really well. And then the other two were moving lighthouses, Block Island Southeast, uh, which was the first move of a major lighthouse structure in America of that nature. Uh, 2,000 tons uh, is what that structure weighed, which is pretty significant. Uh, so to be part of that, and, and it was a team effort that I, I took the lead for the Coast Guard, but there were so many other people involved in that project that made it work. International Chimney, Expert House Movers, obviously the um, Block Island Southeast Foundation, uh, Dr. Abbott and, and uh, the whole host, host of folks out there. And then uh, moving Highland Light, Turo, and the, the intricate part of that project was that there were no funds. It was easier to uh, move Highland Light than it was, especially after we learned a good bit on on uh, on Block Island. But the interesting part of that project, when I got handed it, was just to do a study. There were no funds whatsoever to move that lighthouse. And through some creative wheeling and dealing and just mostly on my own effort uh, working with other state and federal, I was able to cobble together a million and a half dollars to pull it off. And mm -hmm. the reason I worked so hard on that was I knew if we didn't do that, it was going to be uh, on the beach down below. It was 35 feet from the edge of the bluff to the lighthouse when I started the project. So uh, I knew I had to get some way somehow to find the funds. Yeah. So those really are some of the most prominent lighthouse projects of the last 30 yeah, and, years. And I go into detail. There, there's a little bit of comedy too in, in all my wheeling and dealing. And uh, those that, uh, if you get the book, you can read in detail exactly how I was able to maneuver all these deals between everybody and his brother to get it together. But it, uh, yeah. it was quite, quite, quite the, uh, the orchestra there to, to try to curtail and put together. Yeah. I think maybe you should be secretary of state of the United States because he has this great <laughs> negotiating skills. Uh, you really have a talent for that, for making it a win-win situation for everybody well, involved. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah. That, there's um, a couple of people, um, and including a, a good friend I've known for many years who, as I just finished up uh, the project down at Montauk that we'll talk about on 5 December, said, you know, Dan, you've got a knack for getting people to agree to things and for you to um, give them your ideas and whether they uh, are in agreement or not, they always seem to come around to agree. How do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, you always put a positive spin on everything and, uh, you know, make them realize what the common good is, I, I think. Yeah, Jeremy, you're absolutely right. And and, and that's my pitch, too, in, in the book is uh, we're all in this together. We've got to work together. And, and I've always looked for uh, common ground uh, and look for win-win. Uh, how can we uh, what would you like to see? And what, and then I look at the other side, what would you, and I try to find something in, in the middle, middle of that, uh, that you can do. And, uh, I've been very blessed. I've been fortunate to, uh, pull off, uh, some of these, uh, projects that, um, Boston lights, another one I, I talk about where I can't tell you how many people told me, you know, Dan, uh, you're wasting your time trying to come up with some arrangement 
for a keeper at Boston Light. Those Coast Guard guys are going to be there forever. Okay, but and we pulled it off. Yes, you did. Yeah, Sally, of course, Sally Snowman has been there for twenty yeah. years. Is now retiring. Yeah. But yeah, we'll see what happens next. But uh, a few minutes ago, you mentioned uh, that on the fifth of December, we're going to do another Zoom event that evening at I think 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. And that's about the the Montauk Lens uh, project that you've been involved with lately, which is really exciting. It's, it's absolutely amazing. It is. No, it's it's a step back, if you will. But in, in my mind, it's a step forward because it's one more step where a local historical society and a steward of a lighthouse has given some innovative thought to a project and been able to come up with the financial resources and and the backing of, of the folks, uh, everyone there at Montauk. I, I think we were getting cheers from the whole community when they turned on that light and it was back rotating, that lens rotating, which, as you've seen the pictures, makes this marvelous uh, sweep of light and um, one yeah. of the local folks there uh, that I got to know emailed me and said, "Hey Dan, I just wanted to share this with you. He's a good. He's got to be a good seven eight miles uh, from the lighthouse, but his house is on a, a elevation." He says, "Yeah, I was in my upstairs. I can see the sweep of the light, and it is absolutely awesome. I couldn't yeah. believe he uh, he shared that with me, but it was pretty." Pretty cool. So, yeah. yeah, that'll be a great project to talk about on the fifth. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, to uh, just a little more detail about that. It's a it's a three and a half order lens. Is that correct? Three three and a half Fresnel yeah. uh, clamshell lens or bivalve, uh, however you want to term it, but absolutely gorgeous lens uh, yeah. that served in that lighthouse for more than eighty years that we've restored and uh, put back in as the operational Aton and then kudos to the Coast Guard. We'll talk about this more and how this came about. On but December again, 5th, yeah. it was a collaborative effort and it was up to me to, to find that, as we just talked about, I had to find that happy medium that uh, would make this a beneficial project for both the Coast Guard and, and the local community. Yeah. Well, congratulations on the part you played on that. And it's just, I saw the lens in, in the museum in May. And to think it's back in the, the lantern is, is a kind of a miracle. So we'll talk again, we'll talk more about that in the Zoom event on December 5th. So in your uh, career as an engineer, you were, uh, did other things besides lighthouse projects, of course. Now, I talk about some of these in the book uh, because as an ocean engineer, you're designing, maintaining structures on or in the water. And of course, that includes uh, buoys. And so I, uh, during my Coast Guard career, I did uh, work on a number of buoy projects. Some work uh, national level groundbreaking uh, projects as well that I think the reader will find uh, find interesting. And of course, there's there's always some challenge in there. And, and I always seem to, to find uh, a little bit of humor uh, in some of, there's a couple of projects there where the, uh, as much as I had put everything together, they almost uh, fell apart in some weird way, but luckily I was able to put them put them all back together. But yeah, no, it's uh, as an ocean engineer, you 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 just get your hands in anything having to do with a structure on or near the water. Dan, so for a while you were actually the was it senior engineer at Civil Engineering Unit, Providence, Rhode Island, 
So you were involved with lighthouses all over. Yeah, no, that that's correct, Jeremy. I was uh, I headed up the ocean engineering section, and about halfway through my, I, I spent four years there, loved every every minute of it. About halfway through that, our uh, commanding officer asked me if I would take up our real property section, which at that time was really involved in the lighthouse community with license and leases. And eventually we took that further, but that was an addition to my job as an engineer, but I loved it because it kept me in that uh, world of lighthouses. And as we talked about, and as I shared in the book, we ended up making again, some national level major accomplishments uh, through that work. What uh, what do you think is your overall, what kind of uh, overall conclusions did you come to about lighthouse preservation when you're in these roles? Yeah, no, it, uh, and I, I talk about this as I go through the book. I mean, I early in my career, I just fell in love with with lighthouses and I love working on them and, and supporting the Coast Guard and the Coast Guard's effort. When I came to New England in 91 and, and at the CU Providence began working on some of these major level projects, we also unfortunately had a number of storms from the perfect storm, several other nor'easters. And it became very clear to me that um, there's no way the Coast Guard is going to be able to both financially and from a work uh, load standpoint, be able to take on uh, maintaining these structures alone. I also realized that uh, there was a a great resource out there in the private sector with these nonprofit groups, cities and towns that had historical societies that wanted a role in lighthouse uh, management, historic preservation. So those two realizations uh, just motivated me to, to keep working at this. And uh, as I look back now, and as we've shared, it, it's just amazing to see the tremendous work, uh, and also from what the society has done as well. Uh, The U.S. Lighthouse Society has been very much involved in a lot of this and actually helped support the National Historic uh, Lighthouse Preservation Act. So to see that now, looking back, it it just uh, really uh, pleases me uh, to see how far we've really come from that time. Yeah, it's been great to see the partnership over the years between the Coast Guard and various nonprofits and different agencies locally that are taking care of these lighthouses. For the most part, it's worked out beautifully. Let me ask you this this question. I don't think I asked this exact question before, but if you have to single out one thing, and I'm sure this is not easy, maybe it could be a couple of things. uh, What has been your favorite thing about your uh, work as an ocean engineer for the Coast Guard? Well, thanks, Jeremy. I, you know, it's interesting. I, I could think of a bunch from an engineering or sense of accomplishment, but I'll tell you what, really, it's the people. It's the people from the people that I've met along the way to the people like Charlie Baines, Harry Duvall, people like yourself, Jeremy, that have dedicated themselves to working on the preservation of, of lighthouses. And uh, that's what what uh, has been, I think, the most joy out of all this. And I, I have a little saying, I, I um, mentioned it in the book too, you meet the nicest people at lighthouses. And uh, I continue to find that today. Uh, I might've mentioned this at the podcast, but we um, maybe not 
we did some tours out at the local lighthouse here in Newburyport, Plum Island Light. And I met a young couple that I was given a tour and they were the nicest people, young, I say they're probably in their 30s, uh, probably the early 30s, if that. Believe it or not, they were on their honeymoon. And this was their honeymoon. They had just gotten married. Their honeymoon was going up the coast of Mass into Maine to visit and tour lighthouses. I, I don't think I've ever ran into anybody else that had a honeymoon that involved touring lighthouses, but they were the nicest people. I ended up getting some feedback from them and we shared a bunch of information mm-hmm. and uh, they had a phenomenal time. I, I did give them some ideas and some thoughts of where to go, what to do. And they were very thankful for that. But that just uh, sums up my uh, comment about you meet the nicest people and you, and you simply do. Uh, and that's what I think I've enjoyed the most. As you're speaking, I'm just thinking that uh, often, often when I ask people these kind of questions, they they talk about the people, and I, I like to say uh, it's the people that brought these places to life historically. You know, the keepers and uh, other people involved with lighthouses in history. But it's the same thing con- continuing right up through the present. You know, it's the people that really make this all special. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So uh, let me mention again that we did this live Zoom event the other day. And if people get on the U.S. Lighthouse Society YouTube channel, you can get on YouTube and search for USLHS. There's a lot of videos on there. And the most recent one is the the event we just just did. So people can watch that. I think it was a, an excellent event. You gave a like a PowerPoint presentation on your, your career, outlining uh, material that's in the book. And uh, for people who want to get the book, they can uh, can get it on Amazon. Again, the title of the book is Preserving America's Lighthouses, Memoirs of a Coast Guard Ocean Engineer. It's online at Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. And as we speak, uh, there'll be uh, it'll be put into the uh, U.S. Lighthouse Society online shop as well. Uh, but it's, it's pretty easy to find, and I obviously recommend it to anybody interested in lighthouse history, Coast Guard history, preservation of historic structures, Etc. Etc. It's a it's a must read. Thank you for everything you've done, Dan, and thank you for talking with me today. Well, thanks, Jeremy, and uh, I I think as you hinted at there, you you were a big part of that, uh, helping me uh, uh, put all the material together and getting us to the publication. So thank you for that. We share in in that bond of uh, getting this book out, and I I hope everyone does enjoy it. I think they'll find it interesting. There's a lot in the book that gives you the the story behind the story. So hopefully they'll enjoy that. Exactly. And I also want to just do a quick shout out to our friend, Cindy Johnson, who is uh, responsible for a lot of uh, copy editing on on the book as well. So can't forget her. And of course, often co-host of the podcast. So Dan, thank you again. And I'm sure, well, we'll be talking of course, at the the event on December 5th at seven o'clock in the evening, live zoom event of people, uh, go to the USLHS website under what's new. If, uh, as we speak, if it's not on there yet, it will be very soon. Uh, I think it will be by the time people hear this, uh, again, under what's new on the front of the website, they can sign up for that. They can register for the event. And, uh, I hope a lot of our listeners will take part in that as well. So thank you again, Dan, and happy Thanksgiving. Same to you, Jeremy. It's been a pleasure. Thanks everybody. Dan May's book, Preserving America's Lighthouses, Memoirs of a Coast Guard Ocean Engineer, is available from online booksellers including Amazon and Barnes & Noble.
So let's uh, go now to our next interview. Sure, Jeremy. Tawas Point Lighthouse is located in Tawas Point State Park in the northeastern part of Michigan's Lower Peninsula. The light station was established in 1853, but shifting sands caused Tawas Point to be extended by more than a mile and the station had to be rebuilt. A new lighthouse was completed in 1877. The state of Michigan acquired Tawas Point Light Station from the Coast Guard in 2002. Today, it's one of the 12 sites that comprise the Michigan History Center. Laurie Perkins is the Southern Lower Peninsula Historian for the Michigan History Center, which means she is the historian for the Man House, Tawas Point Lighthouse, and Walker Tavern. She also coordinates the Keeper Program at Tawas Point Lighthouse. I recently had the chance to speak with Laurie about the recent restoration of the lighthouse and uh, what they call the Keepers Program, which was returning after an absence of a few years. So let's listen to my conversation with Laurie Perkins now. I'm speaking today with Laurie Perkins, who is the Southern Lower Peninsula Historian for the Michigan History Center, and also the manager of the Lighthouse Keeper Program at Tawas Point Lighthouse in Michigan. Thank you so much for being with me today, Laurie. Thank you, Jeremy. It's always good to be back. Yeah, well, this is the the third time I've had you on the podcast, it and uh, it it's nice, really nice to see and uh, talk to you again. We last talked early last year, I think it was in January of 2022, and uh, quite a bit's been happening since that, I understand. Without going into tremendous detail right off the bat here, what are the major things that have been happening there? Well, at the Lighthouse, we've just undergone a close to half million dollar restoration of the tower at Tawas Point Lighthouse. And it was long overdue. It had been about 20, 25 years since we had uh, first done restoration on the tower, and so it was it was needed, and we we received funds from the federal government through America Cares Act. So, uh, very happy to receive those funds, and it turned out beautifully. Wow, um, what is the America's Cares program? I, America Cares program. I haven't heard of that before. It it was part of uh, the COVID funding that the Biden ah. administration had uh, passed out to state governments to do long overdue work, historic buildings. Lighthouse is certainly one of those. Yeah, oh, absolutely. We had a concrete barge applied to the exterior about 25 years ago, and it was not allowing the bricks to breathe. And that mm-hmm. barge was kind of eating away. The bricks were popping. It, the barge itself was falling off. And the uh, metal lantern galleries areas were rusting and we just needed a lot of work done that we were not getting accomplished on our own. So, yeah, well, I know that that kind of thing has happened happened at a lot of lighthouses where certain coatings yes. were put on that really shouldn't have been because they kind of trapped the moisture. People yes. did the best they could with what they with the mm-hmm. knowledge they had at that time, but yes, I think we've we've yes. learned a lot about those yeah. things. Yeah, we're we're back to the uh, light old lighthouse keeper standard where the the crew painted the tower with a lime wash every year. And so we're going to be, our next job is trying to find a rotation where we can go through um, and keep those uh, lime wash paints up and uh, keep the tower looking great. So So I was going to ask you about that. Uh, I was reading a a little bit about that. So tell me more about the, the, is it correctly called a paint or is it called a lime wash or it's it's a breathable paint, but it's basically what looks like a lime wash and it goes on just 
you know, with a roller and a brush and just like the lighthouse keepers would have done. It's been placed all over the exterior of the tower. And then the restoration crew went in with other uh, approved paints and uh, painted all the metal and painted the interior of the tower as well. And Mm -hmm. it's it's Mm -hmm. really looking good. So, yeah, Uh, we're not the only lighthouse in Michigan uh, that's getting this treatment done. As you mentioned, there are others. And so it's just, uh, like you said, uh, keeping up with the most recent technology and going back to something that worked 100 years ago. Yeah. Only we had a resident keeper who could go over the, the side in a, in a sling and work his way down from the top. So right, not, right. Yeah. Not too many people are doing that these days. Not me, no, for sure. <laughs> not me either, no. And I know, you know, you can't exactly have volunteers do that these days no. for a lot of reasons. No. But So you must have had a, was it a local contractor that actually did the job? Actually, the Michigan Department of Natural Resources that we're a part of contracted with MIM, M-I-H-M, uh, their Michigan-based company. This is their 23rd lighthouse that they've completed uh, here in Michigan. And so they know exactly what to do and how to do it. And it was an amazing project. And they actually got started in February and encased the whole lantern space in plastic and then run uh, salamander in through a bottom window that shot heat up to the top and it and that light from the salamander made a glow literally from their work lights and the salamander looked like a giant roman candle up there <laughs> all through february and march and they worked in the dark at night and afternoons because you know the doesn't get too dark or light in michigan and yeah uh, the winter so it was it was quite an experience to watch them scaffold uh, it was kind of like in the it was in the round and yet it had a slope to it and that kind of thing. And they, they actually boxed the lens. We have our our lens, um, our fourth order lens is still in the tower mm-hmm. and uh, they boxed, created that so that they weren't going to drop a hammer or something like that or right. spray paint right. on it or anything. So created it in the lantern room, though, yes. didn't remove yes. it from there. Just, no, they did yeah. not remove it. They created it in the lantern room. Yeah, I'm not sure I've seen that done before anywhere quite yeah. like that. That's neat. Yeah. It was amazing to watch it. Yeah, I'll bet. Did I hear you correctly a few minutes ago? Did you say that is that going to have to be the painting of the exterior or the, using that lime wash? Is that going to be done every year from now on? Or? Well, anywhere from one to three years, depending on weather conditions mm-hmm. and how it and how it weathers through this first year. I yeah. think we'll we'll know more once we once we've gone a year with it. Yeah, yeah. But That's yeah, a, it'll have to have regular irregular uh, applications yeah. of it just to keep it looking great. So. Yeah, but it's interesting. Like you were saying, it's like in a lot of cases, I think people are realizing the old uh, ways of doing things were often the best. Yes, and, yeah. Yeah, another thing that's happening uh, is that the Coast Guard seems more open to the idea of some of the historic Fresnel lenses actually being put back in lighthouses where they were removed. Mm-hmm putting them back in and they uh, become the, the, you know, the, a light is installed inside them and they, they right. are the aid to navigation. So that's, that's starting to happen in a few places. And it's, yes. I said into a newspaper reporter recently, the, the old is new again, you know, so yes. it's, uh, it's neat because again, often those are the best ways. Well, let me ask you two, two questions more about the restoration. Were any other buildings worked on as part of that restoration? Uh, no, not not this time. No, the Friends of Tawas have 
restored the oil house that's on site, but that's closer to the ground in a much smaller, smaller structure than mm-hmm. doing the tower. But uh, yeah, they completed that project, I would say, two, three years ago, mm-hmm. uh, just just before uh, COVID hit. And uh, they're having, they put the same kind of paint on it and they're having to go through every year and paint it to keep it up and running. No other uh, historic structures on the site. So. Yeah. Anything else planned at this point? Not from our side of the equation. Uh, we're looking at new interpretive exhibits in the keeper's uh, quarters, and we're looking at some refurbishing of the keeper dwelling area where the uh, volunteer keepers live. We haven't gone in there in maybe a decade yet and uh, refresh the paint and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. we're hoping to do that in the spring and then everything will be done inside and out. So. Yeah. Not like it'll be done forever. These things are never actually finished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to go back and do, you know, there's always something yeah. uh, that's, that's right. uh, it's time to get done. Yeah. Like um, painting the Mackinac Bridge. You start at one end and by the time you get to the <laughs> other, you're back and painting it back the other way. So, yeah. 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 I've driven across that. Yeah. It is pretty, yes. pretty serious bridge. Uh, yes. So uh, speaking of the Keeper's House. We Uh talked a little bit when we uh, talked before on the podcast about the Lighthouse Keeper program, as it's called Mm -hmm. there, and you manage that. Can you give the basics of how what is that program? How does it work? Well, it was on suspension last year, obviously, because of the construction. And then it was on suspension because of COVID. So we've, in my tenure there, which is about six years now, we've actually completed a season of it about three times. Uh, But what we have is the ability to let volunteers actually live in the lighthouse. We can sleep up to four uh, people. We have a full kitchen, full bath, dining area, and two bedrooms. Uh, All you have to bring is your bed linens and your towels, that kind of thing. Uh, And you just, you come, you stay. There is an application process, which uh, we're going to be bringing the Keeper program back in January of next year. So just a few, probably 10 weeks from now, the application will be up and we're taking applications from anywhere in the United States. You only have to be 18 years of age, be able to climb 85 steps. And we go through some training. I I have Zoom meetings now. It's one of the things that came out of COVID was our ability to Zoom. And uh, I can now train lighthouse keepers all around the country all at the same time. And it's really kind of fun to have people from North Carolina meet people from Michigan and back and forth. And so we do a couple day training with everybody. And then as your time gets closer, we do individual teams of four uh, trainings. So we encourage people to apply in teams of four. It works out uh, for safety reasons. We have to have one person at the top of the tower, one person at the bottom of the tower, just to get people up and down safely. And then we have one person that kind of does the history of the, the other period rooms in the, in the lower level of the keepers area. And then we have one person who uh, is kind of the troubleshooter and counts the people and kind of is the gatekeeper because we can only get about 20 people. This is a very small lighthouse, uh, 20 people in it in every hour. So uh, yeah. keepers do five rotations a day for six days. They get a day off. They repeat. And at the end of two weeks, their their time is done. We charge uh, $250 a person. 
And then we also have the $10 application fee. Mm -hmm. So there are about 12 weeks to choose from, from uh, mid-May to mid-October. And uh, folks can come in and uh, pick a date, pick a week, uh, two weeks that they want to uh, stay, and then fill out that application. It gets reviewed. We do background checks. And then uh, you commence giving tours uh, the day after you get there. And then um, the rest of the time, mornings and evenings uh, are your own. You can, if you're a painter and you want to paint, if you like reading, composing poetry or music, whatever floats your boat, so to speak, (laughs) (laughs) Um, tour the area. There's lots to see in the Tawas area. We have the National Lumberman's Memorial. We have Alpena, which is up on the, this is all on the sunrise side of Michigan. I I'm assuming all your listeners know that Michigan is shaped like a mitten. And so uh, just above the thumb uh, is where Taos is located. And so Alpena is at the top of your first finger. And then, of course, the Upper Peninsula and Mackinac Bridge, Mackinac Island are all a two hour drive away, as is Detroit. If you want to go south, if you've Mm -hmm. never seen the big city of Detroit, uh, we're within a two hour drive from there, too. So. Uh, it's it's fun. It's an opportunity to uh, get to meet people and um, come come stay in a lighthouse. How often do you get to do that, right? Yeah. Oh, it's always a always a treat. What a what a great program. So mm-hmm. we're uh, we're speaking actually uh, November twentieth, a few days before uh-huh. Thanksgiving, and uh, this uh, interview will be posted on December third. So yeah. people will be hearing it then. So um, that will so about. Uh, you say applications will go, yeah, uh, start in January? January, January yeah. 8th. Mm-hmm. January 8th, they'll go live. And uh, you just go to our Michigan History Center website, which is uh, www.michigan.gov forward slash Tawas Lighthouse. T-A-W-A-S Lighthouse, all one word. So <laughs> click on that. The application should be there, not wood. January the 8th. It'll be up about a month. It'll close around the 10th of February. And by the middle of March, you should be notified if you were accepted as a keeper. So if you don't hear from me by the end of March, probably uh, you were not uh, chosen to be a keeper. But most, most everybody, although that first year that I was here, we had 1,100 applications to be lighthouse keepers. So you never know. We could get a big influx or a small influx. It just depends. On yeah. I was going to ask you how many you might expect. Um, yeah. I, it's hard to say. We could go anywhere from 50 applications to a thousand. Yeah. And maybe the fact that you haven't done it in a few years might yes. mean there'd be more this time. Yes. Um, yep. or, yeah. Or, or less, <laughs> but yeah. that's so hard to predict. Yeah. It yeah. is. It do, is. Can, but it's can, fun. Mm-hmm. Can people who've done it before come back? Yes, we've had a couple of requests for that because we had a buy year, so to speak, last year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let people who were there two years and four years ago come back into the system. But we encourage new folks, uh, folks that have done this before, whatever combination of folks we can get is always fun to read the applications and go from mm-hmm. there. We also instituted a keeper uniform. So that $10 application fee applies to your Lighthouse Keeper t-shirt. And it was a beautiful t-shirt two years ago. It was 
like powder blue with a big uh, compass points on the front. And then on the back, it said volunteer lighthouse keeper. Beautiful. Everybody loved them. Yeah. So that's your gift or your $10 remittance return if you uh, are accepted by application. So, uh-huh. It seems in a lot of ways to me, it could be a, a model program for a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's yeah. there's a, at least a couple other Michigan lighthouses that might have similar programs. Yes. Uh, St. Light- Helene uh, Island, I believe, is something yes. kind of similar for one. Yeah. The Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association uh, up in Sheboygan uh, manages those other properties. And you can also link to them to find out what other opportunities are available besides uh, our program here at Talos. Yeah. I've had a couple of people from that organization on the podcast. Yeah. People refer great, to great. it as GLICA, the Great Lakes Lighthouse yes. Keepers Association. Great, great organization. Yeah. It Been is. around a long time. So I was looking at some other things on the website uh, for the lighthouse, uh, uh-huh. something called the Brick Paver Program, for one thing, where people oh, yes. can donate and get a memorial brick, mm-hmm. right? Yes. That is a very popular program. It's sponsored by our friends of Talos Point Lighthouse Group, and they sell uh, individual uh, paver bricks. They get them engraved with whatever, whatever, how many words you can fit on a brick. Uh, and there aren't too many, but uh, you can get your name in memory of, in honor of. You can dedicate a brick to somebody else. You can honor an anniversary or a birthday. Uh, and we have the whole pathway leading up to the lighthouse uh, and over to our gift shop and to the oil house. It's quite a large area. And they they actually are, are starting to narrow down to run out of room. Uh, they're thinking about expanding, but uh, you can get information for that on the Friends of Tawas Point Lighthouse website, which is different than the Michigan History Center website I gave earlier. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the Friends of Tawas there is a link, I think, to that brick campaign. You just fill out a form, send your check, send the information that you want on your brick, and they wait till they get, I think, maybe a dozen bricks, I think, before they actually order them. And then because the monument company that does them has to have so many bricks to work on, they don't just do one off and stop. They like to do multiples. And so they're doing that to raise funds for projects that they sponsor there at the park. Their, their friends group is not only for the lighthouse, but also for the state park. Right. As well. Uh-huh. Uh, you mentioned the, the website. I don't know if, uh, if, if it's a simple uh, URL we can give for the website for friends. of um, Point I don't have it off the top of my head, but I think if you Google friends of Talos point lighthouse, yeah. you'll get both their Facebook and their website, which again are two different things. So, yeah. and their their Facebook is very popular. I mean, they if you want to know anything about anything going on at uh, Talos Point, from bird migrations to what the local foxes uh, are doing, popping out of their dens, you know, this time of year, to the phases of the moon, to the lighthouse, to they do photo contests periodically. They have the photo of the month that they post for the park and. It's it's just it's a really nice it's one of the nicer Facebook pages I've been to. So uh, mm-hmm. if you become a member, you can automatically get involved with the Facebook page and you can get a lot of quick information by going to either site. Yeah. But those are operated by the Friends of Talos Point Lighthouse. Great. 
Yeah, the brick paver program is a, is an excellent idea. And I know it's been done at some other places near me here where I am. Uh, Plum Island Lighthouse in Newburyport, Mass. has a very similar program. And it's done yeah. really, they've done really well there. In fact, they have a map uh, showing where, where each of the bricks are located. And then they have a little game they play with the kids, find the certain bricks. And so, yeah, it's become an educational tool as, as well as a memorial to people who are interested in lighthouses. There's also something called the Lighthouse Pavilion that's in the works. I guess that's also a project of the Friends of Towers Point yes, Lighthouse. Is that, right? that, that is a project of the Friends of Towers Point Lighthouse. And they've done some fantastic uh, fundraising activities over the last, I would say, year and a half and really gotten the community uh, involved. Uh, they do golf. They do everything from golf scrambles to souvenir sales. They've gotten some major corporations like our power company here in Michigan is Consumers Energy, and they've donated $15,000 to the project. And so they, it, it runs the walk of life. They've, they've really reached out to the community, and the community has embraced that uh, pavilion, yes. When you have been on the podcast twice before, uh, mm -hmm. we got somewhat into the history of the lighthouse. The last time we didn't talk about that at all, but Maybe just recap a little bit of that. I'm just wondering for you as the as a historian, uh, maybe there are a couple, one or two or, or three or four things that really stand out for you in your mind when you think of the history of Towers Point Lighthouse. Sure. sure. I think I think the first thing is that this is the lighthouse that we've been talking about that you can live in um, is actually the second lighthouse on Towers Point. Towers Point is a constant movement of sand and and wind and creating miles of new beach and new land every year. And then the first lighthouse was 1853. The second lighthouse that we just did the restoration work on was built in 1876, 77, and opened to navigation on May 2nd, uh, 1877. And we're actually planning an event for next year to reopen the lighthouse on May 2nd, which was the first day that the lamp was lit for that navigational season in 1877. So it's like the 147th, 49th lighting of the lens. And so um, that's the day we've chosen to honor that uh, restoration project and to get the lighthouse back up and running and get our keepers back in and get our friends group back in doing tours and so next year on May 2nd will be a big event for us, but mm -hmm. that's the big thing. One of the projects that we did, uh, because we couldn't get inside the lighthouse and we did not have keepers last summer, was to hire a student interpreter. Uh, we've had them periodically off and on over the years. And this uh, particular person, their name was Ken Phillips. And Ken did uh, a lot of research when it was raining outside. You know, we can't be outside with an umbrella giving uh, tours at a lighthouse. So I sent them to the library to do research where, as I mentioned, we're looking at upgrading our exhibits and our interpretive plan there. And we want to figure out, besides the, the male lighthouse keepers, who else was involved in and around Towers Point and the lighthouse, because we know it's a navigational device. We know it's important to the economy of the area. So what other groups of people impacted that lighthouse? 
And so uh, Ken did research through the census and local newspapers on Native Americans and also African Americans and trying to kind of flesh out what Tawas, uh, there are two Tawases. I don't know if your listeners know that. There's the East Tawas where the lighthouse is and there's also Tawas City. And they're right, they run right up against each other. So, so it's referred to as the Tawases. And both of them are on either side of the Tawas River that flows into the bay, in Tawas Bay. And that whole area was lumber, as, as many things in Michigan uh, were involved in the late 19th century. It was, a, it was a lumber town. And so you're cutting trees all around the northern forests of Michigan and using local rivers and tributaries to move logs down to sawmills, which are usually on the mouth of major rivers. And so Tawas was one of those major lumbering uh, communities. And so who was involved in that community? Who lived there? What jobs did they have? You know, what were their lives like? Are there women? Are there children in these communities? Those kinds of things. And how did lighthouse keepers and that lighthouse interact with those communities? And so we're just starting to sort of crack that nut. And uh, Ken was very influential in digging up a lot of information that I quite frankly didn't have time to do because I, I managed two other sites in the state's uh, museum system. So this is not the only site that I'm at. So they were able to do a lot of work this summer when it was raining and cold and uh, not able to get out uh, and meet the public. Although, and the meeting the public uh, side, they were able to talk to over 8,000 visitors uh, over the summer. And that's, that's quite a few people talking face to face, just one person. So I was quite happy with how that um, Ken worked out and how the program worked out for this summer. So we, we still kept the co- uh, public engaged. They could still watch the restoration work going on and still learn a lot about lighthouses. So before we move on, anything else about the history? Like, are there any uh, particular interesting personalities, keepers, people like that in the history of the lighthouse? Well, that we haven't really gotten into. You know, it's been been the framework of keepers. You know, they came at this date. They served till this date. And yep. I don't think we really have gotten into the depth of their lives like we have wanted to. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that we're going to be doing here. Well, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Well, you never know when somebody might come out of the woodwork who's a descendant of a keeper oh, or something like oh, that. Oh, they do. Oh, well, in that regard, yes, they do all the time. We have one of the uh, friend members of the Friends is a daughter of the last Coast Guardsman to serve at uh, Talos Point. So, yeah, they, we have contacts with family all over the all over the country. So, mm-hmm. yes. But that yep. so that must fill in some detail. Yeah. And in fact, the most recent this daughter that i referred to her father she donated to the museum uh her father's work clothes his his jumpsuit uniform kind of a thing is bibbo not bibs but you know mechanic suit kind of a thing to the museum's collection to be displayed at the lighthouse when we get everything up and running she also donated his notebook where he kept notes on how to keep the fog signal running. Those are rare things because people don't tend to keep their work clothes, especially men. They wear them, they wear them out, and then they, you know, they throw them away or pass yeah. them on. And so 
people tend to say uniform, you know, class A uniforms and all of that. But she she had given those as well. But she also gave his day to day work uniform. And I was so thrilled uh, with that. That um, so we're going to try and get that on exhibit at some point. But yeah, you don't normally see that. And it really brings the functioning, everyday functioning of the lighthouse down to real people. You know, that's not the officers necessarily that come by and salute every day. It's and, and go away. It's the actual person who's doing the job to maintain this navigational device because it's important. Without it, you know, ships would go down. And so we, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about that most recent donation that came in in the last couple of years. So mm-hmm. very excited about that. Yeah. Well, that's a, yeah, it's definitely the most important part of the history is the people, yes. both lighthouse service, the civilian keepers, and then the Coast Guard keepers and their families. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, that's what bring, brings yes. these places mm-hmm. to life for sure. And we're, we're trying to capture those every time someone mm-hmm. raises their hand and says, I'm a descendant of, we try and do an interview with them or take as many frantic notes as we can uh, at the time that they're, they're there and they come back or they'll give me a call if I'm not there when they're there Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to mention something in case people listening are hearing some noise in the background. <laughs> um, there's some work or cleaning going on in your home. And uh, I don't want to stop that. We can't stop the wheels of progress. You got to get that done. <laughs> no, it's three days before Thanksgiving and I have a uh-huh. house full of company coming. <laughs> but I do apologize to your listeners. I do. This, this has been uh, the long end of a, I would say, three month odyssey uh to my life recently uh on uh august 28th or thereabouts of this year we had a tornado go right past our front door and took out uh 12 65 foot pine trees in our backyard and in fact uh, i have a work crew right now working outside of my house cutting up those trees and they've been here now for two days Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have that and then we had a flood in our, our another part of our house and uh it's just been one one disaster after another so <laughs> well i'm <laughs> glad you're laughing of... i guess that's oh, a good yeah sign. we we were lucky when the tornado came through we lost power for a week so we lost all the food in our freezers so we went down to the basement to check on those a couple of days later only to be walking through squishy carpet. So we had to go in and tear out all the carpeting and then repaint, refloor, re re oh, it's just one thing after another. I guess so. <laughs> but you you didn't call in just to hear my woes. So. Uh, well, no, but I'm sure everybody listening sympathizes. <laughs> that, that's why they're <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They're trying to to get the last of the construction out of the house in time for the holidays. So. Absolutely. That's sad about all those trees, but I'm sure glad your house oh, wasn't hit directly. I mean, yes. Well, several houses in the area lost roofs. We were very fortunate we did not lose a roof. Our farm here was, uh, the house was built in 1880, and uh, it, it weathered the storm really well. We have some massive old growth trees in our yard. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the tornado went right through and, and was tossing semis around on our major highway on the I-94 down near Detroit. And so we were we were lucky. It was just starting to form up at where we are and then took off and made even worse 
disasters in other places. So we were, we were, we were fortunate in the long run to have survived the way we yeah. did. I know it's hard to see things that way sometimes. Yeah, but. it's it's just taken a long time to get everything all everything back into its proper place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I apologize to. The no, 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 not or, not at all. I'm I'm glad uh, things are as okay as they they are. Yes. Uh, yeah. You mentioned a while ago that you're involved as the historian for the. Uh, the Southern Lower Peninsula for of the Michigan History Center that you're involved with a couple other properties. Could you just mention a little bit about yes. what those are? Actually, there are two other properties. Uh, both are further south of Taos. Again, if you look at that mitten shape of Michigan, these are located uh, down near where your wrist is on the Ohio border. Okay. And uh, for, for those of you in New England trying to get a read on where we are in the Midwest. But just over the Ohio border, maybe half an hour is uh, Brooklyn, Michigan. And maybe you've heard of the Michigan International Speedway and NASCAR races. Uh, One of my historic sites uh, butts right up against uh, the speedway and we share a property line. And that particular site dates to the 1830s and was an old stagecoach in on US-12, which was the connector between Detroit and Chicago, and also the completer for the Erie Canal, which started in Albany and went to Buffalo and then in through Lake Erie and into Michigan and settled up uh, a lot of Yankees and Yorkers uh, came to Michigan through that major route and down US-12 and passed this uh, quaint little uh, tavern building. So that's one site. Um, called Walker Tavern, named for Sylvester Walker, who's from Cooperstown, New York. Uh, the other site is in Concord, Michigan. All the folks from Concord, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts will appreciate this. The uh, site is uh, probably an hour southwest of Lansing, which is the capital in the middle of the state. And that house there is a Victorian two-story that was built in 1883 and was home to two sisters by the last name of Mann, and they donated their house property contents, including the soap in the soap dish, to the state of Michigan so that uh, kids in Concord, Michigan could understand how it was when they grew up as children in the 1880s. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people save historic houses, but they don't necessarily save the contents or the contents have been dispersed. But in this case, this is the only family to have ever lived in this house. Uh, the parents built it, the children grew up in it, and the last sister died in 1969. And it, and in her will, it said that it should go to the people of Michigan. So uh, 1970, uh, Michigan History Center uh, began operation of the site. and It's been one of our sites for the last 53 years. And uh, right now we're pra- uh, planning for a big Christmas event. We decorate the house uh, in Victorian Christmas style uh, starting the first weekend in December. I'll be down in Concord and greeting folks and giving them tours of the house and then showing off our nine foot Christmas uh, tree with all of, I had volunteers who handmade all the paper ornaments using Victorian patterns to cover this nine foot tree in the parlor. And so it's, it's quite a nice thing for the local community to get involved with. Oh, sounds really nice. 
Anything? Mm-hmm. Does anything happen related to the holidays at Towers Point Lighthouse? Uh, there have in the past. The volunteers there have done Christmas at the Light, which normally would have taken place this uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving. But because of the restoration, we decided it was best just to have our big grand opening and not, you know, not give people a sneak peek since we were this close to the end of the season. So that will come back next year. It's a very popular event. They get several hundred people out for that. They put up Christmas trees and decorations and lights in all the windows and such. But yeah, they, uh, they'll be doing that next year. But we were so close to when they finished that there wasn't really time to turn around and clean it and get it ready to greet the public that we decided we'd just wait till spring. Yeah, I can understand that. So I got one final question for you for bonus points, okay? Okay. Uh, And I believe when I had you on the podcast before, I I usually ask people like like you, what is your favorite thing about your association with a particular lighthouse? So I won't ask that exact question again, but I'll ask you maybe a little more specifically, what is your favorite thing about your association with the Lighthouse Keeper Program at Tawas Point Lighthouse? Oh, I, I love the Lighthouse Keeper Program. It just opens up so many doors. People become ambassadors for this program. I get to meet people from all over the United States. They have an intense interest in lighthouses. When they're selected, they really want to be there, and it just shows. I I love the enthusiasm that these folks bring to this experience, and it's it's an amazing thing. And I think just getting to know the various people around the country has been the most fun for me with this job. Yeah. Well, you know, both historically and with what we're doing today with Lighthouse Preservation, as we were just saying, it's the people that make it mm-hmm. so yes. interesting and, and so much fun, uh, yes. both in the mm-hmm. past and the present. So, um, yes. so Laurie Perkins, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast again for a third thank you. time. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Uh, third time's the charm. And the yes. other two times were great so. too. But it's always yes. a pleasure and we'll have to do it again sometime. And mm-hmm. uh good luck uh with everything at the lighthouse. Congratulations on what's been yes. congratulations on what's been accomplished there recently. Yes. Oh yeah. It's yeah. it's been fantastic. So Laurie, uh, thank you so much again and happy holidays. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. Happy holidays to you and your family. If you'd like to learn more, do a Google search for Tawas Point Lighthouse. That's T-A-W-A-S Point Lighthouse. The official State of Michigan website has a kind of complicated address for the lighthouse, but it will come up at the top of your Google search results. To learn more about the Friends of Tawas Point Lighthouse and Park, visit TawasLighthouseFriends.com. The Friends also have a Facebook page. Laurie's been on the podcast a couple of times in the past, and it was great catching up with her about everything that's been happening at Towers Point. I got to some of Michigan last year, mostly the Upper Peninsula, but I have not gotten to Towers Point yet. I need to change that one of these years. Be sure to check out uslhs.org to learn about tours, preservation grants, and everything the U.S. Lighthouse Society offers. If you listen to this podcast using Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. Before we sign off, do you have a quote for us as we start to get into winter, Michelle? I sure do, Jeremy. The author John Steinbeck once wrote, quote, What good is the warmth of summer without the cold of winter to give it sweetness? End quote. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way to look at yeah. it. 
On next week's episode, we'll be talking with the last lighthouse keeper in the United States. Until then, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thank you so much for listening and keep a good light. Bye.